once I sort of learned that about myself, that really, really freaked me out. I gave all the money back and I basically ran away. And I was like, there's no fucking way I'm going down that path. I'm going to do something that feels right to me that I just love. Welcome to the Conservative Curious Podcast, where we uncover niche thinkers at the intersection of philosophy, tech, and culture. I'm your host, Jessica Dang, alongside my friend and co-host, Ani Pai. In this episode, we talked to John Fiorentino, a serial entrepreneur who created wildly popular consumer products for sleep, stress, and anxiety, such as a weighted blanket called Gravity Blanket, modern beanbag furniture called Moon Pods, and weighted stuffed animals called Moon Pals. He's also the creator of personalized astrology candles called Birthday Candles. John shares with us the philosophical insights he found on his journey to success. We discuss the two questions you should ask yourself before starting a company, the one path to greatness, what money actually represents, why we should love America again, and the existential war on fun. I was listening to one of your podcast interviews. I could relate so much to your experience being in New York City for college. I moved there when I was 18 and I went to Parsons. But it's such an exhilarating feeling to be so young in the city and trying to figure out how to make it. You went to a school at NYU called Gallatin, where you can name your own major, and you named yours Luck. Yeah, I named it, uh, I named it Luck in Time. Luck in Time or and Time? And time. So it was like, yeah, those were two of like the vaguest words that I could think of that everything revolves around. <laughs> so like everything that I, you know, everything I explored or thought of or like formed an opinion on, it was like, you know, you could draw that back to luck in time. In yeah. It's interesting to think about like if you were to make a major, what you would call it, right? Like philosopher king major. Yeah, it's a really, it's, I mean, it's a really interesting question. It's but I think you approach it the right way, which is you have to make your own learning path, right? You can't just take classes and expect to learn like how to do awesome things. You have to start with like the end in mind and then take classes that help you get there, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like very clear that I wanted to, to me, it was always clear that there was like basically absolutely no way I was ever going to be able to work for anyone. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try to figure out how to do my own thing. And so like, you know, I don't even know exactly what that is, but I need to be able to stand on my own two feet. And so, you know, like, you know, doing that within a certain time frame so I don't die of hunger and homelessness and also understanding some sort of word like the market to time it and get it right in getting that luck, um, you know, was kind of like the North star for me. Um, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't incredibly vague, but like, you know, it was vague and it was that it was the perfect paradox of like, you know, it means everything and nothing at the same time. You know, what's interesting. I think that it's a certain personality type too, because when I was working in my twenties in New York, I remember I had a job, I was a makeup artist and, you know, after a while I left the job, but my manager said to me, Oh, I'm so glad that I don't have to manage you anymore. We can just yeah. be friends now. Basically, everyone that I've worked for, it's better if we're friends and me not working for you. Exactly. It's like, I don't really want to work for you. It's almost like I could do it for free. But um, but when I was listening to your interview, I was like, John's that person too, where it's like, you just can't work for somebody. You could but I tried I tried I got fired basically from every internship I ever had I got fired from a law office um my like idol that I spent years tracking down to go work for like nicely fired me pretty much like I you know I, I got a I, I really after my music thing I really thought after like being a jazz guy I like really went on the other end and was like okay you know like 
who's going to be the next music titan. I want to go and be in the music business. And I kind of searched out that guy. He's like, you know, he was like the absolute archetype North Star, someone that I like really, really admire, still really, really admire. He's like a great guy, very, you know, totally a genius for sure. And like, I was like pretty certain that he was going to be the person that I was going to be able to work for because I respected him so much. And then like, I got there and he was, he like basically took me aside on the first day. He's like, so we've had like a few conversations, but like, there's no fucking way you're working for me and you're not going to be able to work for anyone ever. And I was like, wow. I was like, oh my God, no, like, no. Isn't that like the best advice? Because I had a friend say the exact same thing to me. He was like. I don't think that you're meant to have a job. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, are you saying that I'm unemployable? He was like, no, I mean, that you cannot, you're not meant to have a job. Like, every time. See, that's that's the way the rubber hits the road, right? Because it's not you hate working, but it's like, it's very different being told what to do versus just figuring it out, right? It's like, and you're like, why is this person telling me what to do? It just doesn't make any sense. I actually think having a job, like, I feel like we definitely need to start. It's just like this, this is like the echo chamber forever, especially on these podcasts of like, oh, you know, we figured something out that no one else did. And we've like, you know, we are this misindependent and like, you know, we don't need nobody type of thing. And it's like really not that great. It's only great because I literally had no other option. And like, I physically couldn't do it. Like, it's actually something I'm like pretty embarrassed about. Like, I literally cannot take direction. I cannot work for someone. I do not know how to. My brain shuts down. And so, like, that puts me in a very, very not great position. Like, yeah, it it worked out for me at this stage in my life. So, like, great. You know, every entrepreneur that, like, I look up to and admire goes through a period in their, like, 40s where they go broke again. So, like, you know, I'm kind of gearing up for that. Like, I'm probably going to go broke at some point again. That's not going to be very fun. Um, that might cost me a marriage that might, you know, cost me a relationship with my children. Like I have no idea what that's going to cost me. And like the trade-off of being able to go and work for someone that, or some company that you really admire and respect, like that is a very, very admirable, nice, respectable thing that has totally been forgotten about. And I actually think it's really, really messing up a lot of things in like our little small circle. It's like, you definitely don't have to start a company. You like certainly don't need to be, you know, the independent on an island alone to like self-actualize and like have like a really profound impact on the world. So one of the, I think, big mythbusters with this is like the mythbuster of, you know, the ayahuasca smoking, like guns blazing entrepreneur who like sells enterprise software is that there's like this trifecta of, you know, you can have a great social life, you can have a happy family life, or you can make a ton of money and you can pick two. And that's yeah. usually how it goes. Like if you try to pick three, you'll be mediocre at everything. You'll be yeah. barely there. You'll miss little Jimmy's baseball games. You'll see your friends once a month and you'll make like 200K a year. Yeah. And you'll hate your life. So you have to kind of go deep into one thing, which is fine, right? Like I don't get why this entire mythos of you have to be everything to everybody at the same time. Like, yeah. how does that work? Right. Yeah. We all, everyone makes their bed, which seems to be very orthogonal to the story of many entrepreneurs now where you can try to have it all. You just won't like, there's no way that actually works. I, I think that's something that's being forgotten about right now. You're not allowed to believe in anything that's not quantifiable in a measurable, basically monetary value. And so like, we have this weird thing where we just like immediately look to the richest people and we're like, Oh, they must be doing it right. Like they are the path that I need to replicate. But like the mechanics that got them there are so, so unique and not necessarily unique in a great way. Um, Unique in an interesting way that you kind of want to watch. But I don't think 99% of people want to be that person. And I think we've sort of swallowed this pill for the last 10 or 15 years where like, you know, innovation experimentation and independence at all costs and optimize for the individual and fuck everything else and if you're not you know on your hero's journey you're nothing and i think that's kind of one of the reasons why everyone's going insane right now it's really not true and it's really not something that most people should strive for 
you can just tell like really quickly you can really really quickly tell if someone is lying to themselves about this or not and like you know it's kind of like Ani, how we always talk about like we always question this idea of like uh different forms of a spectrum and you know people finding their own ways and answers to do certain things but it's like there's really only a few ways to do something and there's really only a few types of people that can be truly truly great it seems like we're going through this exercise where we're trying to fit everything into this very very small hole of greatness and like nothing is working and everyone sort of feels like they're completely empty (laughs) i think another way to phrase what you said is when you let everyone have the ability to do everything, a lot of people can't do anything. They don't do anything, yeah. So we're seeing that right now because you are living in this world where suddenly all the doors are quote unquote open. You can basically travel anywhere if you make like a decent amount of money. You can have the potential to go and make great companies. But at the same time, what do people do, right? Like Netflix says, we compete with sleep. So... You see that, and I almost think that it's, you know, something on the podcast we've talked about a lot is like this rise in the counter alignment, right? And how that ties into this is like, you know, uh, America itself is changing from like this very, you know, once very hippie, very like do anything you want culture to almost like, you know, people are going back into religion, people are going back into like different modalities of thought and faith and all that stuff and kind of going back to like the one true answer which I think might be a useful antidote. But I think, yeah, like you said, you know, people don't do really well with immense possibility. I think a lot of people need to be told what to do. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? I just know a lot of people that I talk to that have sort of fallen into this, like, you know, mimetic trap of watching someone like Elon Musk is just like, that's really not what they're meant to do. And it's just, it's so easy now to fall into that trap. And it's sort of like, you know, a lot of the ecosystem is enabling this type of thing. And it's like not, it's really not great. You know, if everyone's, if everyone tries to be famous and everyone tries to be the entrepreneur, it's like, where, where is the collective? There's no more collective. And then it's like, why are we even doing this? You know, a lot of people fall in this trap. Why did you not fall in this trap? I know with your products, there were always, you know, the sense of like, making it awesome, right? Just making like things people want, right? Which is so disastrous to so many people's ego because they just can't understand it. Like how can this guy who, you know, on the surface looks like, you know, probably like a, some surfer dude uh, go out and, and, you know, create like hit consumer products one after another. That what, tra- what trap do you think I avoided? Oh, the trap of just, you know, playing like the money game or playing the, you know, making products that you don't like but you think other people will like and following the path like everyone else does of just wanting to be rich versus making something that's really exceptional and lasts the test of time. Well, thank you for putting me in that category, but none of my things have lasted the test of time yet. I hope they do. That is the goal for sure. Um, So I guess I'll talk about it as if they are going to, but I don't, I don't really know where to start with that one. When I asked you about what you called your major luck and time, I feel like those two vague concepts are really intertwined with your personal destiny. I wonder if at that time it was kind of like a foreshadowing or if it was something that you pulled from your own experience that your path is shaped by luck and time. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the thing that I spent a lot of time thinking about And I wouldn't really let myself get past a certain step without having the answer to is like what I was actually doing and where that was actually going to lead me. And those are very, very simple questions, but they're very, very hard to answer. You know, I went down the path of like, you know, I raised, I raised a bunch of money for one of my ideas very, very quickly. And I ended up basically shutting down the company before I spent a dime. And I gave back the millions of dollars that I raised because I couldn't really answer that question. And the answers that I had for it were really scary to me and they were pretty meaningless and they weren't very fun. Like this quote unquote tech startup. Um, what was I doing? Uh, I was doing what everyone else was doing. I had an idea. I started running down this path of raising a quote-unquote seed round on a quote-unquote YC safe. 
And when I would ask people what that was, I kid you not, most of the people that I asked what a safe was, including the people who signed it and invested in it, didn't know. They couldn't describe it to me. So when I was asking, what am I doing? The people who were enabling me to do the thing that I was doing couldn't even describe what we together were signing up for. That was when I sort of put everything on hold and was like, whoa, what is happening here? So can I raise money? I think a lot of people start companies literally to solve that question for themselves. Am I worthy of getting an investment? If you, if you really talk to people about why they're starting a company, a lot, like an overwhelming number of people, it's really about like, will Sequoia invest? They'll kind of do any idea as long as a brand name investor validates it which is, again, insane. For me, that was an insane framework to spend years of my life signing up to do something. So yeah, it was like, what am I doing? The answer was basically, I was doing what everyone else was doing. The, the reason why I was doing it was essentially to get rich and get everyone else around me that bet on me rich. And what did that look like if I succeeded to the nth degree? That looked like probably 10 to 15 years of my life devoting all of my time and energy to a thing that I didn't really believe in, that I wouldn't have died for, I wouldn't have gone to battle for. I, re- If I was being really, really honest with myself, I knew that it wasn't going to truly bring joy into people's lives. And the real outcome there was I was going to make a lot of money and I was going to make the people around me a lot of money. And then I would like kind of have this badge of like, I did it. But describing what it was, was like unbelievably shallow. I think a lot of people could listen to this. And if they're being really, really honest with themselves, because I've had these conversations with most of the people that are doing a lot of the things on the path that I just described, their answers would be similar. And those answers just didn't really excite me. And I think it's kind of like staring into the sun. Basically, when you allow yourself to believe that the most important thing is to get rich and to look good to your peers, uh, you make incredibly short-term decisions that are very, very meaningless, and they end up looking almost identical to what everyone else is doing to solve a short-term problem. And no one actually truly unbelievably believes what or why they are doing the thing. Once I sort of learned that about myself and learned that about a lot of the people that I was in a similar circle to doing similar things, that really, really freaked me out. I gave all the money back and I basically ran away. And I was like, there's no fucking way I'm going down that path. I'm going to do something that feels right to me that I just love and get excited about. And that ended up being weighted blankets, which is like unbelievably, that's like an incredibly funny thing. People literally thought I was joking when I would tell them that I was launching a 20 pound blanket. But, you know, that was something that I could go through all of those questions and answer like very, very confidently where it was like, no, like I 1000% believe in this. I 1000% believe that it works. I 1000% can see everyone else that is trying it light up with this like unbelievable like life when they try the product. I think those sort of very, very deep questions that lead to a place where you can really, really feel unbelievably comfortable in your own skin, dying for the thing that you're trying to build, that is when you'll probably find real, real, real success. And that real, real, real success, I think, is something that kind of, you know, really, really lasts throughout market conditions, throughout investor trends, throughout emotion, throughout, you know, ups and downs and trials and tribulations. Like if it's truly true, it will last and you will have the energy to keep doing it. And if you misstep on any piece of that framework, I think it's a very, very dangerous route where you're going to be trying to measure something that is immeasurable other than I believe. Um, And when you try to measure anything other than I believe, you basically come to the conclusion that it's not really worth it and you kind of give up.
But did you do something wrong first for you to have that filter? It was like all, everything that I did for the first probably seven years of me trying to quote unquote build something, uh, it didn't work until I really went on this crazy, crazy path of like, you know, I'm not going to do anything for a short term comfort and I'm only going to do things that like really, really make me feel good that I can believe in everything else failed. What was that light bulb moment or was there something you read or? It wasn't anything in particular. It was sort of just like, you know, a, a bunch of little hints along the way where it was like the real true magic of amazing creation can't be bought and it can't be scammed. You can't trick the market. And to go back to the music titan, he always used to say, you just have to believe. And I would be like, shut up. Like, come on, you don't believe that. Like, okay, like, cool. And he'd be like, no, you have to believe. And I was like, okay, that's like the thing for the pop world. But like, what's your thing? And he was like, no, believe. And then two years in on sleeping on couches, it was just like, oh shit. Like he was right. <laughs> what does he mean by believe? What do you mean? Believe in what? Believe in yourself? Believe in your idea? I think that's, I think that's up to you. It's the framework and the attitude and the spirit of just like, do it for the right reasons. And if you're doing it for the right reasons, you end up truly believing. And that is just like the most powerful thing that ends up lasting. But I actually, I had this realization the other day. I think something like Bitcoin is actually sort of shifting the openness to this mental framework. Because if you think about Bitcoin, like it is literally, and it, it kind of took this like incredibly intellectual scientific thing to get nerds or this quote unquote intellect to understand that like actually all it takes is to believe. So like, you know, there's this meme that happens and in, in when people um, start to challenge Bitcoin and like, you know, like the, the galaxy brain answer is like, well, what's money anyways? Money is just a story that everyone buys into. And it's like that, I mean, yeah, they're like, you're right. That's like the thing. And that story needs to be backed by legitimate, you know, mechanics or, you know, inherent value of some sort. But at the end of the day, it is this story that people take a leap of faith on. I think this idea of like this leap of faith, faith-based path is going to be a little bit more acceptable because of just kind of where we're at in the innovation cycle. You have things like Bitcoin where like, again, like the only reason why that thing works at the core, core level is because everyone's starting to agree on it. You can see these things start to bubble up. I don't know, like watch Kanye West's presidential video. I'm sorry, you know, you can say whatever you want about the candidates or Kanye. I'm sorry, his presidential video was the clearest form of leadership that this campaign has seen. By far, hands down, there's no question about it. The thing that he was yelling about and stating in a very clear, objective way was we need to go back to a place where we understand a routine of prayer and we need to value the family. Don't say, don't say the word God, because when you say those things, you literally are looked at as a crazy person. So I was in a conversation the other day just based off this, and I was like talking about America and somebody told me you can't say that. I was like, I love America. And they're you like, can't say, I can't that. say that. I posted an Instagram of me holding a uh, American flag pillow. And I'm sorry, I'm not a Trump supporter. I'm not a liberal, but like, I love America. <laughs> like, I got hit with like seven DMs being like, I can't believe you would post with the American. I'm like, it's the American flag. What are you talking about? Like, people have lost any sense you're, you are shamed for a sense of belief now. And it's a really, really dangerous path to be on. And I think that's kind of where we're at. We're at the super buzz vibration of this really, really quick cycle. We're at like the, the buzzing point of this thing. I think it's about to break in some way, but like you really are not allowed to believe in things. And that is really the only way real things get done. I'm optimistic where we're going. And again, you can see it with the Kanye stuff, the Elon stuff, people that are just having fun 
and are willing to take a, a risk of, you know, I actually just love this thing and I'm going to do it for no other reason than this. Uh, you know, Elon pricing the, the Tesla at like, you know, the 69,420 thing, like brilliant. Like, that's just funny. Like, it's just funny. Laugh, laugh. Oh, now we're laughing. Now we're sharing this joke. Well, guess what? Now I'm going to buy Tesla stuff. It's like the joke that happens that gets people engaged, that gets your attention, that gets your sort of, you know, warm feeling inside. Like, where does that come from? And how do you speak to that? And where is that energy? Like, it's really, really been lost in most of this quote unquote startup community. And like, I'm trying to bring back the Richard Branson days. Like, put me on a hot air balloon in a, in a woman's dress type of thing. Like that is funny. That is like perfect. And like, you know, that is where we need to go and where we need to stay or where we need to move towards because this whole idea of this snake eating the snake of everyone doing the thing that everyone else is doing because they think they want to do the thing is just, I'm just so fucking bored of it. And so I launched a weighted stuffed animal. So, but John, so you talk about consumer a lot, but I know we've talked about all the stuff we want to do in like aerospace and that stuff. How do you blend the two together? Did you always feel like, you know, uh, gravity blanket, moon pals and the litany of, you know, your consumer inventions were just like a stepping stone toward your Richard Branson supersonic jet slash voyage into space? Yeah, I don't think it's different. And I, I think, again, like everyone that is truly trying to be on this path of greatness is going to end up to the same place. Like they're going to end up building rocket ships in cities. One of my favorite conversations I had with someone was this guy that knew Jeff Bezos in college and knew his roommate. And they were both taking science classes or some shit. And they both had this like boyish dream of building rockets. He told me about these these debates that they would get in. And one was a scientist and one was Bezos, and they both were trying to build a rocket ship. And Bezos was like, no, it's going to like, you know, I, I'm going to take this path. I'm going to do the hedge fund thing, this thing, this thing. And I'm going to like build up to a path where I then, you know, am having my rocket moment. And this guy was like, no, you know, that's too long. You'll be doing it for 40 years. Like, why don't you just go work at NASA like this and that? One is begging for you know, a 50 grand speaking engagement as a quote unquote pop scientist. And the other is Jeff Bezos launching Blue Origin. Look at Disney, look at Kanye, look at Howard Hughes, look at Steve, like all of these people, like look at Evan, like, you know, again, like look at what just happened with Snapchat, that nice little pop, like, let's go, I'll buy you guys all drinks, let's go. And uh, you have this this moment where, I mean, what's that famous quote where it's like everything looks like a joke and everything's a toy until it's not. That's sort of how I view things. Like we're all trying to get to that same place, whether you want to call it like space, greatness, enlightenment, stratosphere, whatever, like everyone that's creating is totally trying to get to the same place. I don't really, I don't believe you if you tell me otherwise, or you're, I, I just feel like you're kind of settling. I look at all of these things as reps and motion to get to the place that I'm trying to get to. If Bezos can sell a book online and end up with Blue Origin, um, you know, who's to say that I can't sell stuffed animals and end up on the moon? In one of our past episodes, Ani said something like, there's no path to greatness, but there's a path to mediocrity. I would flip it. I would say there's one singular path to greatness and every other path leads to mediocrity. What's the path to greatness? It's super simple. Super simple. You have to be the absolute best. There's literally no, like, there's no other way. Like, why can Kanye, Bezos, and Jordan, and LeBron basically have dinner together and like kind of understand and operate on the same wavelength. I, I mean, I'm like almost certain that they would all agree that there is a path that they all sort of went on either spiritually or something to get them to that nth degree of stratospheric greatness. But John, wait, I think what Jess is referring to also is, so when you look at like how people get there, right, of being the absolute best, that journey people seem to think is linear, right? If I do the right thing at the right time, I end up at this place of like Elysium, Valhalla, like I'm finally, I feel like I've made it, right? Like being the best ever. 
But when you look at like that journey somebody goes through, I mean, I always think of like Churchill and his like 10 years in the darkness, right? It gets like pretty bumpy as you well know. But like the path to mediocrity is like, you're kind of right where it's, you know, if you don't drill down and you don't have this idea of what you want the angle to look like, you've already lost. So getting to that great point is very bumpy, but getting to mediocrity is almost like destined. Can I say something controversial with Michael Jordan? I watched Netflix, The Last Dance. It was totally engaging. It brought me back to the, the, the great days of the NBA and all that. But seeing Jordan dedicate his whole life to just shooting hoops. Okay, so you're the greatest basketball player of all time. And then at the end of the day, I don't know if it's because of the pandemic or whatever, but I'm like, and so what? Disagree 100%. I don't care what the thing is that you do. If you are the greatest, it is probably the most important thing for humanity. There's that whole philosophy that one of the most important things is how we write about and how we idolize our heroes. My take on this is that that hero's journey and that path to the stratospheric greatness, it doesn't matter if you are the world champion yo-yo player or if you're, you know, the, the guy that invented some vaccination or something, right? To me, that pure greatness is a spirit and it's an energy and it has nothing to do with the context. You can achieve this transcendent energy basically through anything. I mean, right? Like if you watch Gyro Dreams of Sushi, I always, I like hate food. I like don't understand it. I don't really care about it. I don't care about people that like freak out about it. I'm like, just give me a fucking chicken and rice. I don't care. You watch Gyro James of Sushi and you're like, oh my God, I understand why this guy would spend 20 years making the perfect wasabi. It's just like, that is the God energy. Just like, oh, he did it. It's like, it's like the- an out of body experience, right? Exactly. Like, I think that's what people, but, just, but just this point of like, what does it all mean? I used to kind of have more of that mentality earlier on where I would like look at like what people had done and you know, if it's a company or like if it's an art or if it's in, you know, sports and like reduce it very completely, like, you know, great artists, like I go see a massive, like wonderful painting and I'm like, okay, this is like five brushstrokes. Why does anyone care about any of this? Or if it's a company, like, okay, all you do is you make it easier for people to do payroll software. Or if it's a sport, it's like, okay, you threw a football around and now you get paid 5 million bucks. Like, what is that? But then I started to see people who were the best and it actually transported me out of my body it's almost as if you've taken what i call like a schedule one stimulant like anything is possible you're just like experiencing this thing and like i don't know maybe that's a oneness with the universe or like god or like whatever like let's go back to justice jordan point which is like beyond basketball this guy helped uh so you know at the end of the last dance where he's all over the world and he like unifies this populous china even you know china is like one of the biggest consumers of basketball out there in a weird way somehow this guy by shooting hoops connect the world and brought people together from all sorts of backgrounds people you could be in latin america and you could go to china and be to be able to talk about did you see that jordan game it's the universal language it is the transcendent energy and not like you know i'm gonna re- i'm gonna you know come at jess right now but but like to me the attitude that you had is the attitude that I think that's where we're at is where we only know how to quantify. You're looking at these things through this lens of how do we quantify this in, you know, through money or like change the world or did he like save people's lives or whatever. What I'm saying is like, we have to get back to a place where we're, we're comfortable not quantifying the spirit because that spirit is actually the most important thing in life say if it's just shooting three pointers and you're throwing like 10,000 balls a day or whatever but it's like if you only focus on that is that enough is that greatness if you do anything to that level you will like you will have this insane effect on people's lives because the highest level of everything is art that exactly i got a scholarship to be a jazz drummer i've spent the first 20 years of my life being an artist five hours a day non-stop eating breathing and living what Bezos or or Elon or Steve or like these like, you know, nerdy tech founders that are building these like soulless enterprise machines, 
it's 1000% art. It's like more beautiful art than like most art that is classified as art. It is like this creation on a level that is so, so complex where like, I mean, like, think about it, right? Like music, music, right? Like music is this thing that kind of trans is like an audio experience that sort of transcends you into this like visual hallucination. And like, you know, if you listen to the artists that really made this like crazy new sound that take you to this new place, it's kind of like this world building thing. And, you know, they're building this whole quote unquote brand or quote unquote world or quote unquote experience. And I think, again, like if you build anything to a certain level of mastery, you end up creating these worlds and these experiences that do transcend people. And that's how you get people to move. That's how you get people to dance. That's how you get people to show up in line for a Supreme drop. That's how you get people moving around the world, driving in Ubers. And that's, why, that's why, you know, people say you don't need to sell greatness. Like you don't need to sell. You don't have to sell it. It, it already just sells sell itself. It. Yeah. A big learning moment for me was going and working for a music Titan. And I thought Bieber was this thing that he wasn't. And when I got out there, I realized that I started asking all these questions of like, okay, who orchestrated this, 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 and this. And he was like, Justin's actually the most talented person I've ever met in my entire life. And I was like, no, like, no, I don't believe that. Like, there's no way. And then like, you're around him and you watch him and you're like, oh, he's actually like Justin, Justin Bieber's like actually an embodiment of pure greatness that is like a once in a lifetime type of energy. He is literally that type of artist that transcends There was no one like faking that. There was no man in the machine that was manufacturing that. And that's why he's had, he's going to have like a 25, 30 year career because you can't fake that greatness and you can't sell that greatness. You can't trick people into greatness. And I think that's probably the scariest thing that a lot of people find out when they try to start business because it's incredibly easy to trick investors. It's incredibly easy to trick your friends into thinking that you're successful. It's incredibly easy to trick press into writing about you. It is almost impossible to trick the market into believing that you are great without actually being great on a long time scale. I like actually believe it's impossible. Just to clarify earlier, when I was talking about the the shooting the 10,000 hoops thing, I do see what you mean by the transcendent spirit. It just occurred to me that there was this quote that said, being Zen is not thinking about being Zen while peeling a potato. Being Zen is just peeling the potato. A hundred percent. You just can't fake it. Like I I tweeted out a couple of years ago. I was like, I think probably one of the most scariest detrimental pieces of advice is fake it until you make it. It's like deeply wrong like deeply, deeply wrong. Do not fake it until you make it. Making it is actually just making it and then you make it. I have a question for you guys about America and capitalism and money and faith. So on the dollar, it says, in God we trust. When I was in Denmark, I was having dinner with some Danes and they're obviously very socialistic there. Capitalism is a dirty word. And they just couldn't understand why Americans tie faith and money together by putting in God we trust. Because you have to, you have to believe. <laughs> exactly. I didn't really have a good answer to that either. So I have one, which is that America has always been about growth. It's always been about like doing more with less. Like If you look at the story of how things happen in America compared to anywhere else in the world, people in America fundamentally care about what they're doing. Like There's like this deep satisfaction from being good at your job, from giving back value, from making stuff, right? Once with your hands, now maybe with your mind. But the reason it's like in God we trust is because, well, maybe less so now, but in the beginning, like you're doing manifest destiny, right? You're colonizing the frontier. You had to have like this exceptional understanding of what it was you were doing, why you were doing it and what you wanted to achieve. I think about like Rockefeller. So everyone like says bad things about the guy, but he was like the most pious man probably ever in business, right? He would like pray every day. He would mm-hmm. like 
donate. He was very simple-minded, like simple, simple living. Like his biggest extravagance was probably playing golf. And he was like the richest man in history. But the one thing that everyone would say about him was like, you know, he never really talk ill of people would always have this exceptional faith in that led him to make, you know, like what's one of the greatest businesses of all time. And people benefit from that, right? People benefit from people who have such a prize quality in their work. I mean, look at Apple, right? Look at, like it like changed billions of lives. So it's not really about money, right? Do you think for Bezos and Zuckerberg, do you think they're thinking about the dollar signs? No way. No, it's not the money, but, but it's about like they want to do stuff, right? And growth is then like a money thing. It's just it's like a measuring stick. It's, right? Yeah, it's just a measuring. It's it's like hysterical when people talk about like how greedy these people are and whatnot, and they look at it through that lens. They're just showing their cards. They're they're saying that the only thing that they know how to value in life is money. Talk to anyone who's made a couple million bucks. The second you make money, you're like good. Like you don't ever have to work again. Like you know, my dad always calls me. He's like, "What are you doing? Like st- like go to the beach. Like stop. You don't have to work." And it's like that's not. If you start to obsess about making money, then you're never going to make it. You're staring into the sun. You're going to be blind. It's not the thing. Money is a measurement of value. It is a measurement of the thing. It is not the thing. And that's kind of what I think everyone has forgotten is that they're looking as money, which is a measurement. They're looking at as the thing. And so we are measuring the measurement. You know, this guy Wittgenstein who like pioneered this language games model talked about, which is like, you should be careful when you're using a ruler and you're trying to measure a table because sometimes like instead of the ruler measuring a table, the table will measure the ruler. I think why Elon has become such a godlike figure is because he just could not have done it for money. And that's what he says all the time, right? He's like, if I wanted to make money, I would have done another internet company. I wouldn't have burned it all at the stake by doing two things that, you know, anyone with like half a brain would tell you immediately it wouldn't work. But you can't fake somebody who's like willing to, you know, sleep on the couch like seven no, days can. a week, you like and being like the sixth richest person. You know, it's hard to fake. But those things, I find those stories really only happen in America, right? So I find like if I talk to my Scandinavian friends, it's something they just don't understand. Like, why would anyone care so much? But then you look at what happens in those countries, and you're like, oh, nothing, nothing. This is why, like, you know, hating America right now is really, really bad. We have to get we have to get past this. We have to learn how to love it again, because what this place was built on is like it's the coolest. It's the coolest, most fulfilling life that you can have. That's why I'm here. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be here. And like, that's why I'm doing it here. Um, And I think we've just strayed so far away from all of these things because we've kind of been taught that like, you know, everything valuable is measurable. And if you can't measure it, then it doesn't exist. And so then you just have everyone penny pinching and you have everyone hating themselves. Well, you have Scandinavians looking at Americans saying like, oh, all you guys care about is having a big house and four cars. And there's more life. There's more. It's nice to be just cozy with the candle and a cup of tea and crawl your toes into the fireplace. So where they're wrong with that is, uh, you know, in the art world, there's that saying, right? So when bankers get together, they talk about art. When artists get together, they talk about money. And that's what they do because like growth in Europe has like effectively stopped, right? So you get all these people together. And when people talk, it's like one of like deep pessimism. It's like the future sucks. You know, Europe is going to be Islamic. Like I lost my job. And in America, it's not great either, but it's like you have at least an ability to do something, right? But like, the spiritual side of that, the spiritual side and the energy side of that and the attitude of it is is fading really, really quickly. It's fading really, really, really quickly. And you almost never hear anyone that's being really super ambitious with a plan that is actually rooted in deep conviction. I mean, this is probably just probably how it's been forever. I just think that, you know, like, No one knew these people's names for the first 25 years that they were building their business. Like Elon Musk didn't have like a Substack type of thing. Like he wasn't building his Twitter following. It's just like he was doing the thing and then the greatness, it came. And then now he's like this figurehead. Again, I think we're just sort of putting the cart before the horse because we're looking at the wrong thing as a means of value. And, you know, we're sort of misstepping in the first direction that's the most important. And yeah, I mean, I think I think we're back. We're kind of back to where we started, where it's like, you know, 
these questions, these very, very simple questions that you have to kind of ask yourself before you go down a certain path are unbelievably important. Halloween is around the corner, but you know, those like fake teeth, those ghoulish teeth that you put in your mouth at Halloween. So I read somewhere like this guy is like a multimillionaire and he makes these just ugly teeth, like ugly fake teeth. I wonder what that guy's thinking. Like, why is he doing it? And what is he doing? You know, is he thinking like, oh, I'm just going to do this thing that I can manufacture in China and just sell like. I mean, I would sell that product. That sounds so fun. Like seeing people post that on Instagram and like, you know, like really like have this moment where like they put it in and they put the teeth down. They're like, oh, like that is fun. Like that is a great that is true. That moment that they have. So, John, you know, we talked about it. We earlier spoke about like this. It's like a all out war against like fun. fun. Yeah. yeah. What do you think that is? Like, why is there such a calamitous attack on like, if it looks like you're having fun and it's not, let's say, earned in the right way, whatever that means, that somehow it's not allowed. Like, why is that a thing? I think it's, I think now? it's like a deep spiritual existential crisis. I mean, when you're really, really depressed or you really are in a bad position, seeing people happy really makes you angry. And for some reason, we're kind of collectively at that point. You're literally not. And I know, I, you know, I'm being, I'm saying this while being completely aware. I mean, you can't not be aware of it now. You have absolutely no choice. I'm saying this with knowing that, you know, the world, especially America, is on fire right now. And people are going through a lot of really, really intense stuff. And I'm not taking that away from them, but. I don't know, the, the craziest, most insane, life-defining tectonic shifts that have happened in my life, deaths, you know, crazy, crazy shit. You really have no other choice but to just sort of smile and giggle and laugh at it and have fun. And for some reason, it's just not allowed anymore. It's like truly not allowed. And again, I think it's because we've replaced the most important, valuable thing in life with something that is measurable. And if you can't measure it, then you're a delusional, crazy person that's being blind to the world around you. Because how dare you believe in something that's not backed by something quote unquote real. So going back to the guy with the Halloween teeth, maybe he came up with the idea because he was like, this is funny, I'm just gonna make it. And maybe he didn't think about how many units he was going to push or whatever. That's how all of my products basically start all, i can guarantee you almost all of my products that i've launched have started out with me hysterically laughing about what if this existed and then you're like oh my god that's actually i really want that and you're like oh wait i could tell i could have people over and have them experience this and this could all create this like really collective insane moment about gathering around a candle and seeing you know you know why it, that's such a good sign it's because like laughter is pretty deeply like uh underneath the laugh is like a form of respect right where most mostly people are like oh my god you know this works yeah you know what they say right the real uh words of science isn't eureka but it's actually that's funny huh that's strange again like that transcendent wow moment when you see something crazy happen this like moment that transcends all of reality when like there's two seconds left on the clock and a hail mary's thrown and there is this unity on the field and someone catches the ball to have a game winning touchdown with no, no time on the clock. You have this like disbelief and then you just roll on the floor smiling, laughing. What is it about these moments where these reactions are just almost purely cause and effect? It's the thing that you can count on the most of if this, then, you know, Wow, laughter, love. What are those moments? And those are the moments that I try to find and search for. And if I ever if I ever change that framework to where the moments of, you know, something happens and dollar sign, laugh, wow, love. It's like, no, you lost. Game over. It won't work. Yeah, I remember I worked for an estate jeweler who only sold engagement rings. And she was like, I love my job because it's just based on love and joy and these great moments. And I was like, yeah, it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you like laugh and you're like, wait, oh, yeah. You know, that's probably one of the greatest times of being alive right now, which is like there's so many people who make money or just have fun in all these like weird categories you never expect. 
and yeah, it's totally. always like a joy of mine to see like people succeed in areas that like maybe it's not super broad to the outside world but like they just have so much fun doing it right like beekeeping or like mining for opals or making like really wonky skateboards yeah. and those things just like when i find them you know there's this website atlas obscura that details them in these hidden places and yeah, it's always incredible to me just like how much diversity there is and like how many, yeah. how many different ways there is to explore. I think all that stuff was and is and will always happen. It's just a matter of like for some reason because now that all these it, – it's like sort of brought to the forefront and it's in your face all the time. It's almost having like a reverse reaction where like a lot of these things aren't really being celebrated. They're kind of being like, oh, well – because we know about that, it's like not that important. We're kind of running away from it in a sense. But like speaking of money, not having money can be some of the best times of your life too. Like living in New York for me, first moving there, not having any money was some of the best times of my life. You want to hear the scariest stat of all time? There was some hundred year study or whatever. Who knows where all these studies and stats come from, but it kind of makes sense. It makes sense to me that the over like a hundred year time frame, they found the two most happiest people won the Amish. And then directly under the Amish by like a percentage point was billionaires. It's yeah. not linear. It's circular. Everything's yeah. a paradox. It's all a joke. There's like two ways to win, which is like you either have to not play the game at all or you have to win the game. And like everything else, like you're kind of just like... But John, so the billionaire point goes back to your earlier thing of people would say it's because of the money, but I think it's because they're deeply successful at what they do so one of our mutual friends you remember where he was bringing up the idea that like if you took me and you made me essentially homeless you got rid of my name and i was in anon uh i could go back and i could go and become the best again and that gives him the confidence to just go out and do all these like wondrous things because he's like it's not my name it's not my oh totally money. it's not it's just that i know that i am the best at what i do so i can go and i can start over I can go into different areas and I can use what I've learned and go and be the best once again. Go talk to other people. And you know, the guy that you're talking about unequivocally was the best. Like he was the best. There's no real argument. He achieved that level of greatness in that sector that he was operating in. You know, go tell like Kanye West that you're, you're going to like try to cancel him. There's no way you just, it's not, you cannot take it away. That greatness transcends all. And it has nothing to do with anything other than the actual mechanics that exist within yourself. That is greatness and you can't fake it. You can't take it away. It doesn't cost money and there's no real value you can put on it. And I think that that conversation just doesn't really happen anymore. So where does luck come into play? Can you generate luck? <sighs> I don't know. I mean, this, this conversation has been had a lot. I'm really pissed because right after I did my whole major, the Andreessen How to Get Lucky article came out. I was like, fuck, that was like my whole thesis. That would have been a lot easier if I just <laughs> waited for this to come out. I think it's been explored a lot. You know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Luck is a thing. We're all lucky. You know, I just think it's like, I'm terrified of luck. There's no way I'm leaving my life up to luck. There's absolutely no way. And every time I do, I get absolutely fucked. Every time I take a, a, a bet and, a, and hope that I get lucky, I get slapped in the face. And every time I do the work, I get lucky. I think luck and coincidence and all this shit is probably way, way, way deeper things happening on like a multi-dimensional universe that we have no idea how to even look at or measure. And so it's just like luck. That was lucky. But it's like mm -hmm. something deeper is probably happening. And, you know, I think on the tiny, tiny surface level, the way to avoid luck is to get your reps in. Yeah. So yeah. I think about it like this in science a lot, because when I was growing up, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a scientist. I wanted to be a physicist, whatever. And people would always tell me, like, you have to get really lucky, right? You can't just be smart. You have to like stumble upon it is always the phrase that you use, right? You just stumble upon this idea. And then I uh, looked into, you know, John Bardeen, who's the only guy ever to win two Nobel Prizes in uh, hard sciences. So he had this funny story with his brother-in-law. So his brother-in-law missed his first Nobel Prize ceremony. And Bardeen's like, oh, you know, that's that's fine. And the kid's like, why? Like, you know, I'm never going to get to see it again. Like, how could you do this to me? And then Bardeen's like, you know, having no one before had done it. And he was like, oh, don't worry, you can come to the next one. 
and he wins the second one. First person ever to do that. Now I see it everywhere I go, right? I see like read math papers and I read into this guy and he's like, yeah, so I saw Fermat's last theorem by, you know, spending seven years in a cabin and people ask him, they're like, what were you doing? And he's like, I knew I get it eventually. Yeah. They're just very like, yeah. you know, wasn't it unsolved for 300 years? He's like, yeah, but I would figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> if you talk to people that have really, really done it and you talk to a few of those people and you start to see very similar things. I think this is like the only thing that people should know. It's like you don't start these things, you're compelled to do it, right? It's like a deep compulsion that you have to do it, I think. That's maybe the biggest like myth buster with the entrepreneurship model. Being an entrepreneur is almost kind of a paradox. It's voiced upon you. Again, like you can't do a math equation on a whiteboard that presents a market opportunity and like go decide to do these things. I just like kind of really believe that. Maybe you can in very, very few cases, but it's just like, you know, again, like you're alive once, run away from luck. If it seems like it's a lucky thing, like actively run in the opposite direction. And so like everyone's trying to decide these frameworks for their life by really focusing on the edge case. The edge case is very, very attractive because it gives you an exception to the rule. And the real exception to the rule is be great. And that is unbelievably scary for a lot of people. And so they focus on these edge cases, but like you really, really don't want to do that. And also just like the luck thing, like I never really understood that argument. The second you identify it as a variable, you can start accounting for it. Like if you really believe that you get lucky by stumbling upon it, then why don't you spend every single day stumbling? Like go stumble, keep on, keep on stumbling forever. If that's really what you believe success comes from that you just have to like go and pan for gold or whatever like then just go do that forever but like no one does that it's like it's like this weird it's this weird thing that no one really knows how to define that it's just an excuse i think the other part of your major was time and i think that's a really important component to a personal destiny too is you can't really compare your path to like Mark Zuckerberg. And I know that there were a lot of people at the time who idolized him and who would follow everything that he was doing. People would read these books and try to do exactly what was, you know, what follows somebody's schedule or what they're reading or what they're into that year. But um, I think time is something that people don't take into account because everyone's life is so different. I remember I read about this I think she was like a Cuban artist or a Colombian artist, but she didn't get discovered until she was like 80 years old and had her first show at the MoMA or something. And that was like her moment of greatness. And they, they say like an oak tree doesn't produce acorns until 50 years. It's like, you just never know when that, that time comes for you. Yeah. So I think, I think you're talking about two different things. One is like, how do you find your path, which is like really hard. And the answer is like, you don't, it finds you, which is like a really annoying Alan Wattsian bullshit. But like, unfortunately, that that vagueness is kind of the only way I know how to describe it. And then the second is like the timing issue. And there's two things there. A really good movie to watch if you're trying to figure out your path and how to get there is Knives Out. Have you guys seen Knives Out? It's so good. There was a line in Knives Out that really, really stood out to me. And then I watched it like three more times to make sure that that was the thing that it was about. And I'm pretty sure it was. So it's this old dude who is undeniably the greatest in his field. He's like, you know, one of the highest earners in writing mystery novels. And it is about how he deals with his fortune and trying to pass on his family legacy or his legacy to his family. So you have all these like rich, spoiled kids that have been like suckling at his trust forever. And then you have his forever quest to teach them the right way to, to win at life. And they illustrate it in a really interesting, in a, a nice, like beautiful, cute way. And it's through his relationship with his, uh, his maid or like his helper. And the movie basically pins the family against the helper. The foreshadowing moment was when the old great-grandfather is playing a game of Go with the maid. He goes, I love playing with you because you're the only person I've ever played with 
that knows how to beat me. And she goes, I'm the only person that knows how to beat you because you try to win and I paint a beautiful picture. And his response was something like, like, aha, you only know how to do it your way. And that's why I love you. And the whole movie is basically his kids finding out that they've all been trying to do it his way. And they never had the self-confidence to find out how to do life their way. And so they lose. And the maid ends up basically getting the whole fortune. Wow. And like, you know, the whole thing was that line of just like, you're going to win at life because you only know how to do it your way. And her way was painting this beautiful picture. She wasn't trying to do anything other than what was truly like inside of her and what felt right to her. And again, like, I just think that that is like a very, I, you, the, the movie was like so brilliant at sort of highlighting that. I don't know. That was, I, I enjoyed that. But the really interesting thing is, like, if you think about it, Mark Zuckerberg was, like, the least lucky person of all time. He's the least lucky person of all time, and he still is the most successful entrepreneur, probably. What do you mean the least luckiest? Uh, He was, like, the 17th social network at a time when social networks were basically looked at as a fad. Um, He came into the market when there was a clear leader, MySpace, and wiped it out. He essentially missed mobile. He didn't have an app that worked and Instagram basically was like eating his lunch. And he fought that by acquiring Instagram and then completely rebuilding the blue Facebook app. And Facebook basically became the most popular mobile app in a couple of years on the back of his Instagram acquisition, which is like, again, these moments of quote unquote lucky that get, that get, you know, tagged onto someone like Steve Jobs or, being in the valley at certain times or being around certain tectonic shifts in tech, you can really draw a really strong case that actually most of these people were like unbelievably, incredibly unlucky with their timing. They just did it right. I thought it was interesting how at the beginning you're like, I might go bankrupt at some point again, but you're not scared of it because you already know what you're made of. A couple of nights on the subway and a few leftover chicken meals from friends' fridges, like you're, you're good. One summer, I lived in my friend's pool house, and I would buy a turkey burger from Erwan, and I would I would cut it in half, and I would be like, "This is lunch, and this is dinner." <laughs> what? What, was, what was the Jesus thing where he was like, you know, judge a man not on his riches or whatever, and on his values, and like don't look down on the homeless? But like, I literally slept on the streets a few nights, not a few nights, like a lot, and. I'm not even like being contrarian. It like literally wasn't bad. It like really was not bad, like at all. Like I've, I've had worse nights in like hotels. It was actually like very fun and like pretty comfortable for the most part. And like when you try to have these conversations that like being homeless isn't really that bad, people freak out. In order for that to be true, money has to not be important. There's no way that that's, that that can be true in today's reality because everyone's reality is so ingrained in that belief system. And I've been in that position too, where I have like, I have 40 bucks in my pocket and you just have fire under your ass and then you just make it happen. It's like a, it's like a feeling that you can't really like teach. It's like this really crazy thing that happens in your brain where like, I remember the first time I, when I was like really, really feeling it, I like went to the grocery store to get food. And I remember like not being able to afford cheese. Whoa. I was like, oh, so this is how the world works. <laughs> it's like, I haven't really done anything valuable enough for this cheese okay, I get it. Like now I need to be better than the cheese. <laughs> like, you, you know what my, you know what my like rock bottom food was when I was in New York were garlic knots because it was four for a dollar. And sometimes I would pay in quarters. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. It had gotten to that point where I was like, yeah. what a deal. I can get four garlic knots for a dollar. You know, it's so funny because I saw that all the time, you know, like in New York, <clears throat> everyone is like eating garlic knots and I never wondered why. And then I was, oh, okay. Cause it broke. I, I was also saying, but also it's like the mentality. 
I've had to start over from scratch several times in my life already that I'm really not scared of it. It's not that bad. Okay, so if I have to like do a few part-time gigs to get things going or whatever, like some people are just scared to even do that. They're like, oh, I should never work in a restaurant, you know, or whatever. I think think probably the most valuable thing of all time is actually starting from like legitimate zero. Legitimate zero. Zero. No money from your parents. No money from anything. Absolutely zero. And the thing that made me comfortable with starting from zero was thinking back to moments where I tried to learn something that I had no idea about. Uh, there's two moments in my life where I remember being like, there's absolutely no fucking way I ever do this. I'm just going to, there's no way. And it was playing drums and typing. And I remember picking up the drums and I was naturally decent. Like people thought that I had played for a while and I hadn't. I remember when an older drummer told me that you have to use your feet in order to be a drummer. I like lied to myself. I was like, there's no way. There's no way that that, I was like, that's a choice. That's a, that's an artistic choice. I'm choosing not to be a foot drummer because there's absolutely no way that I'm going to make that work because I can't do it. There's no way I can do it. And then, you know, I went from that point to basically going to college for a very cheap price because of my drum drumming ability. And so I was like, you know, measurably like one of the best in the country. And it was like, okay, I was started from zero and got to that point. I can basically do that in anything. And then like typing, right? Like I remember trying to type and being like, the quick brown fox jumps really no i'm just not going to use a computer and now i i type faster than i think you know my dad told me a story of how he came to america and it was because um you know the war in vietnam and he was from this small village and the us navy was looking for people to work with them but you had to pass like the english language test and he didn't know any english and it was like in a week And he wanted to come to America so badly that he was like, I don't know how I did it. I just learned English in one week and I passed it. You have like superpowers when you really want something. Yeah, exactly. When you actually can say in a sentence what you want, like it's really, really crazy. Like my favorite story is Michael Jackson um, when he was writing Thriller. He used to just drop these notes. He used to just drop handwritten notes that said, we're making the best album in the world. We're making the best album that the world's ever seen. We're making the best album that the world's ever seen. And he just dropped those everywhere. And it was just like, oh yeah, like he put it in that, he put it in that clear of a of a thing. And then like that willpower comes from somewhere else. Like once you sort of get it that clear. I think a really good framework for all this, especially with like probably your audience, is uh don't raise a seed round. Don't raise a seed round. It is like actually start from zero. Like every great company did not raise a quote unquote seed round. I will. I know you were gonna. I was just waiting for you to bring this up. And just don't raise a seed round. One thing that if anyone can take, just don't, just force yourself not to raise a seed round. It just it just it's not starting from zero. You're fucked. You're forever dependent on this mechanic that like is not great for you. That's it. That's it. That's all I have to say. Awesome. That's perfect. (laughs) Well, there you have it. All the secrets of success have now been unlocked. Thanks for listening. We hope you like this episode. Follow John on Twitter at John H. Fio. That's F-I-O. And don't forget to follow us too. We hope to put some events on our calendar in the near future. To be notified, put your name on our list by subscribing at conservativecurious.com. Until next time, stay curious.